Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Amen. Thanks, Mizan. Thanks, guys. So, um, this week we're starting with a, a new series uh, where we want to ask the question, why? So, we entitled it Exploring Why. And we're going to look at five rhythms that we have, five um, things that we do on a regular basis, uh, and then four aspects of our vision, um, <clears throat> and then three essentials that we focus on. And we're just going to look at why we do them. You see, we live in a, a world that's very goal-driven, um, but ultimately what we do, I mean, our, our goals don't really influence our lives unless we translate them into things that we do regularly. Our, our habits actually change our lives much more than our intentions. That's why what we do on a regular basis as rhythms in our lives are so essentially important. Because first we form our habits and then our habits form us. And ultimately, in a, to a very large extent, your life is you know, the, the collection of habits that you've built up over years. That, that, that you know, at the end of the day, is, 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 your, is your life. So often we fail to do the right things, or we fail to do things right, all because we don't really understand why to do them. So if you, if you don't understand why you must do a thing, you'll either do it half-heartedly or not at all. And that's why it's important to look at why we do the things that we do. Because sometimes we are doing the right things, but because we don't understand why, we're not doing them with all our hearts. We're not doing them fully. We're not fully committed to them. Or we know what the right things are to do, but we don't always understand why, so we, in the end, fail to do them. So um, if you can just bring up that uh, second slide. Um, what Exploring Why wants to look at is, um, all too often we fail to do the right things or we fail to do things right all because we fail to understand why we do, we have to do those things. So that's what we're going to look at uh, during this uh, series. And this morning we want to look at small groups because small groups are an important part of our weekly rhythm as uh, a church. And we're going to look at why we do that. And I'm just going to look at a couple of scriptures, about four scriptures. Uh, and I'm not going to dig deep into them. I'm just going to read them, and then just mention one or two things from each scripture. So the first scripture I want to look at is in Exodus 18, from verse 17 to 21. And uh, that's a scripture where Moses has started leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and towards the promised land. Um, but, you know, things are struggling a bit. And his, his, his father-in-law Jethro comes to him. So Moses' father-in-law says to him, what you are doing is not good. Because he was taking all the responsibility for all the people upon himself. So he says, what, you, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall, uh, you shall represent uh, the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. 
and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. In other words, take this big group of more than a million um, Israelites and divide them up into smaller groups. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's easy to see here what, what, what Jethro is saying. Je- Jethro, um, Moses' father-in-law, he says that wisdom dictates that if you want to take care of everyone, then you must take this big group and divide it into smaller groups so that everyone can be taken care of. You see, one of our big problems in the Christian life, because the Christian Christianity is so... Um, it, 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 it addresses every area of life. It's so universal. It addresses every problem in life, every aspect of life. It can become overwhelming. Okay? And one of the biggest problems we have often is we either try and take care of everyone, which doesn't work, or we fail to take care of anyone. And, and both those extremes are very, and, and those extremes lead to one another. Because if you try and take care of everyone, you'll become discouraged and you'll end up taking, not taking care of anyone. And, and small group actually solves both those problems. Because small groups gives you an actual group of people that you say, I commit to this group and I'm going to take care of the people in this group. I'm going to do life with them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to disciple them. They're going to disciple me. So you're not taking, trying to take care of everyone, but you're also not failing to take care of anyone. And, and that is, is one of the first reasons. And, and it's interesting to me that already in the Old Testament, we see the pattern of bigger groups being broken up into smaller groups so that everyone can be taken care of. So it's not just something in the New Testament. It's already there in the Old Testament, the pattern. Um, but obviously in the New Testament, it becomes even more prominent. So the next scripture I want to look at is, is, is Mark chapter 3. And it's Jesus, uh, it says, and he, Jesus, appointed 12, uh, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons, etc. So he, he appointed 12 to basically be his small group. So what we see here is that when Jesus came to change the world, one of the main things that he did was he made disciples. Well, the, the only thing ultimately that he did was make disciples. But how did he make disciples? In small groups. He made disciples in small groups. I think that's one of the most prominent aspects of Jesus' ministry. That Jesus didn't just make disciples, but he made disciples in small groups. And in those small groups, he said, you can be with me, experience me, you can watch me, see how I do things, and then you can go out and do the same. You can imitate me. And, you know, to put it very bluntly, unless we're making disciples in small groups, we're not making disciples the way Jesus makes disciples or made disciples. That is the, the one way in which Jesus made, made disciples. And that is one of the reasons why it's not negotiable to us. So when we ask the question, why do we do small groups? It's in order to make disciples the way that Jesus made disciples. Now, notice, in other words, 
the, the, the first commitment that Jesus expected of his disciples in order to be his disciples is to follow him with a small, another small group of people around them. So a, a small group is basically the group of people, a small group of people with whom you can follow Jesus. It's, it's, it's not just a counseling group. It's not just a care group. It's not just a group of people with similar interests. It's the one interest, the one similar interest we're interested in is the interest in Jesus and following him and becoming more like him. And we see, just by the way, I'm not going to read that scripture, but in Acts, those of you taking notes can just write on Acts 4 verse 23. We see that the disciples, even after Jesus ascended to heaven, they followed that same pattern. Because in Acts chapter 4 verse 23, after Peter and John were persecuted by the, the, the Jewish leaders and the priests and the high priests and stuff, um, they were threatened and told they may not preach in the name of Jesus. It said, and they went... Different translations translate it differently, to, you know, to their friends or to their companions or so. But literally it says to their own. In other words, Peter and John, I mean, the, the, the 12 had sort of, they'd multiplied out into different small groups. But Peter and John were still attending the same small group. They had their own small group. And, and by the way, they were apostles. <laughs> now, if apostles commit to small group, then all of us should commit to a small group. And then, like I said, they continue to do that after, even after Jesus had ascended. So discipleship is a team sport, and your small group is your team. And in that team, you, you can include biological family, but it should be wider than just your biological family. Because... Um, it should be spiritual family. Yes, brothers and sisters, but not bi just biological brothers and sisters or, or mom, you know, parents and children, but spiritual, spiritual family. And, and also you, you need input and your family needs input from people who are outside of the family. We need input from one another, people who come from different cultures, different family cultures, different backgrounds, people who, I mean, so often, especially when, when we, you, I mean, those of you who have, uh, you know, who are married and have children, you'll know that you so often get caught up, so caught up in your family life that you don't actually see clearly the aspects and the things in your family life. You cannot see the problems and you cannot see the solutions. And sometimes it helps to have people to come in from outside and see with fresh eyes what you cannot see and help you with it and encourage you in it. Um, but you need people, and we see this, it's in interesting, in Jesus' small group, his, his small group of 12, you actually see that he intentionally chose people who were very different. I mean, yes, you have a couple of fishermen. You have Peter, John, James, those guys were fishermen from Galilee. They were Galileans. They were, they were very similar. But then you have guys like Judas who come from a way different place. You have a guy called um, Simon the Zealot. Now, the zealots, just by the way, were terrorists. They were guys in those days, Jews, who walked around with, with daggers under their cloaks, and their slogan was, the only good Roman is a dead Roman. So in crowds, they'd come up behind the Romans, pull out their daggers and stab them in the back, and then go off. <laughs> Jesus chose one of those guys to be in his small group. So, so you have all kinds of guys who are radically different. He chose a tax collector, Matthew. 
Now, I'm sure Peter and, uh, or let, let's even take it further, Simon the Zealot and Matthew. <laughs> Matthew's working for the Roman authorities and Simon the Zealot is trying to kill them. Here's the thing. In your small group, now, what we do is we love, we, we hate as human beings, as fallen human beings, we hate the path that includes resistance. We, we love the path of least resistance. So in our relationships, we try and stay away from people we don't like and only click around people that we do like. And you should have, obviously, people that you do like. You should have people in your life that you get along with easily. But you should also, if you want to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should regularly have people in your life that you don't get along with easily. People... I mean, that's what Jesus' choice of people in his small group shows us. You, you cannot, you, you, if you become a disciple, you have departed, you've forsaken the path of least resistance. That's what Jesus meant when he says, if someone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If discipleship is one thing, if there's one, let me rather put it the other way around. If, if there's one thing that discipleship is not, Discipleship is not the path of least resistance. Anyone who does any exercise or fitness will tell you that the only way to become strong and fit and healthy is through resistance training. Whether it's jogging or cycling or doing weights, whether you're using gravity or whatever, but some form of resistance training is that you need. Spiritually, it's the same. If you don't, don't do spiritual resistance training, relational resistance training, sometimes you're going to become unhealthy, unfit. You're never going to be strong spiritually. So a small group is not a comf- necessarily a completely comfortable place. It is also a place that some, in some, to some extent dr- draws you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Yes, but there are also people that you will like and that you get along with easily and that are really encouraging to you. You need both. Okay? Just like Jesus had both in his small group. I just want you to um, bring up that picture of the, uh, that photo of the rugby, um, rugby match. Like I said, the discipleship is a team sport and your small group is your team. And just like in a rugby team, you have different positions. If you compare Faf de Klerk, who's standing there with a number nine on his back, and um, you know one of the you know locks, you know Eben Etzebeth, or, or or one of, of, of the, the props, you know, they look very different. Faf is small and, and he can bend down easily, pick up the ball and pass it, and he's got serious ball skills. He can kick up and unders and so on. The prop, not so much. The prop is big and burly and strong, and he pushes in the scrum. But you need him. You you need people in your team who look different from you, who are different from you, and who are good at things that are different that that you're not good at. Okay. So discipleship is a team sport, and your small group is 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 your team. Um, But not only that. Not that's not the only reason why Jesus made disciples in small groups. The reality is, you can only really get to know Jesus. In community. Firstly, Jesus says, himself says, where two or three are gathered in my name, they are in their their midst. Now, how do you do what we read in in Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15? Because it says Jesus appointed 12 to be with him. If part of discipleship is being with Jesus, how do we do that after the ascension? Because Jesus is no longer physically here. 
Yes, Jesus is no longer physically here, but he's spiritually here in our community, in our midst. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he's in their midst. And he sent the Holy Spirit, another paraclete, another helper who is like him. And this Holy Spirit is the spiritual presence of Jesus in his physical absence. And we experience the Holy Spirit through his word, through the Bible. We experience him directly because as Christians, you cannot be a Christian unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what a Christian is per definition. And in the presence of other Christians who are temples of the Holy Spirit, who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So we can only really be with Jesus and experience Jesus fully in community. But there's another aspect to it. I've mentioned this before, but I think it's so profound. Um, C.S. Lewis, the famous writer of the Narnia Chronicles and, and Mere Christianity, he, he, he was part of a, a writing group called uh, the, the Inklings, who was sort of his small group. And one of them died, one of his friends, his good friends. I can't remember which one it was. And, and he said, he thought that now that that friend had passed away, he'd actually have, he had, he'd have more of the other friends for himself. But it, it turned out the opposite. He had less of them. Because there was some aspect of the other friends that the friend who passed away used to draw out that he didn't have the ability to draw out. Maybe the, other, the friend who passed away had a sense of humor that, that a guy connected to and, 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 and he could make you know, the other guys laugh in a way that, that C.S. Lewis couldn't. Or, or, or there were aspects of his personality that drew out the things in the other people in the group that, that C.S. Lewis just couldn't. In other words, the reality is you can only get to know an individual in community. Just by the way, for those who are dating and, and engaged, this is good advice. If you really want to get to know each other, don't just spend time together looking into each other's eyes and drinking coffee with one another and never in community. You'll never get to know your future spouse unless you get to know them in community. Guys, her girlfriends can draw out certain aspects of her personality and character that you cannot. You'll never get to know her fully unless you get to know her in community. Now, if that is true for humans, how much more true is that of God? You can draw out beauty from the aspect, a part of God's character and personality that I cannot, just because of how God has put you together. You can put parts of God's character on display in a way that I cannot because you have different needs than I have. And I'll never get to know certain aspects of the character of God unless I see God interacting with you. Hello? Does that make sense? So the only way to truly and fully get to know God is within community. And that's part of the reason why we do small group. Is so we can see God, what God does, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us, up close and personal. Um, then another scripture um, that, I, that, that, that is really profound in this regard is Acts chapter 2, sort of just the last few verses of Acts chapter 2. And it says, And day by day, attending the temple, large group together, and breaking bread in their homes, house to house, small groups, they received the f their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, in other words, in the early church, 
even after Jesus' ascension, there was always this commitment, just like in the ministry of Jesus, to ministry within the large group and ministry within the small group. Not one or the other, but both. Now, the church has always, or parts of the church have, have often missed this and either neglected one or the other. I mean, in the middle dark ages, the Roman Catholic Church, you have only the big groups. And you have only the, the Bible only available, for instance, in Latin, which most of the people, it was a language that most people couldn't speak, so that only the priests could minister, ignoring the fact that we're a kingdom not with priests, but the kingdom of priests. <laughs> that all of us are priests who minister. Every member should be a minister. And, and, and therefore, you know, there's no such a thing as a priest in the church or priests in the church who are a priest and, and laity, like it's often called, um, clergy and laity. All of us are priests. All of us should minister. And all of us should therefore be in a small group where we can minister. Does that make sense? Um, otherwise, we depriving ourselves of opportunity to be a kingdom of priests who all minister to one another. Um, so there's that pattern of the, the temple, large group, and house-to-house, small group. Um, here's the thing. Just after the Holy Spirit was poured out, on the early church, we see them establishing this pattern of regular ministry in large groups and in small groups. So if, if we're a group of people filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will ultimately constantly drive us towards gathering in large groups, gathering in small groups, ministering to one another, ministering to the world around us. And I, I experienced the same thing. You know, when I was at school, I was in the Dutch Reformed Church. I was raised in the Dutch Reformed Church. And even though the Dutch Reformed Church obviously isn't perfect, uh, I am thankful to my parents for taking us to school, uh, to Sunday school. Uh, even even when, when they didn't go to church, they'd often drop us off, you know, so that we could go to Sunday school. And I'm thankful for that because I learned about God. I learned about Jesus. Not everything that I learned was necessarily right, but I learned a lot, and I'm thankful for, for, for that, for the exposure I got. But then in high school, uh, some of my friends got exposed to the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and just the reality of the Holy Spirit, which I'd never heard of in the Dutch Reformed Church. Now, I know there are certain Dutch Reformed churches that probably do preach that, but the ones that I was part of really didn't. Um, and it was a bit shocking at first, you know, and it was like a bit scary, you know, this thing about the Holy Spirit and the gifts and speaking in tongues and all, you know, baptism in water, you know, not sprinkling of infants and, and that kind of thing. It was a bit scary, but... What happened was, little by little, as the Lord was working in us, you know, a bunch of you know, early high school kids, we, got, we experienced the Holy Spirit. And we started reading the book of Acts. We went to our, our dominies and spoke to them, and they said, no, 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 that's dangerous. You must stay away from that stuff. <laughs> but we read the book of Acts, and we said, but it's here. It's in the Bible. It's right there. You know, and the things that, and, and we, what we started doing was during uh, our, our breaks at school, we would gather. We didn't know about small groups. Because, I mean, the Dutch Reformed churches that I was part of didn't have small groups. Okay? So we, we didn't know about that. But naturally, the Holy Spirit caused us to regularly gather in small groups and to minister to one another. And, and the end of all of that was that eventually all of us started really 
you know, getting saved and, and uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, experiencing the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and all of those weird and wonderful things. But it was just so telling to me that even though we're a bunch of just high school kids who were raised in a tradition where small groups wasn't even on the radar, that when we experienced the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit drove us into small groups to pray for one another, to minister to one another, to every member be a minister and to apply the word uh, in one another's lives. Um, and, and I'm sure all of you to some extent have experienced uh, that. One last scripture that I want to uh, share from, and I'm going to ask um, in a moment, I'm going to ask Louis and Anne just to also come and share a quick testimony um, around this. Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25. This is, to me is one of the most powerful scriptures around um, small groups and how we're supposed to do small groups. Um, I'm not going to say, I'm going to try and be very brief on it. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. So just four headings under which I quickly want to mention uh, the scripture. Just four Ps. I like to do alliteration. Everyone always you know, teases me about it. You know, but preparation, presence, participation, and perspective. Okay? Those are, if you can get those four things right, your small group will be really great. You see, um, the first step, preparation, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up, how to provoke one another, how to encourage one another towards love and good works. And, and that, let us consider, is not only while you're sitting in the small group meeting that you should consider, but beforehand, you see, one of the biggest mistakes I see people... Because let's face it, if we're very honest, most of even us who have committed to small groups, most of our small groups aren't as great as they could be. Why? Because we're not necessarily fully committed to them. One of the biggest mistakes I find that people make around small groups, even people who are in small groups, is they see small group as a meeting. That is a critical mistake. Small group is not a meeting. It's a community. It's not as though the small group only exists when you come together and then when you leave, you know, you, you scatter to go wherever you live, the small group no longer exists. Small group is a community that throughout the week exists. And you should be thinking, okay, my community... How can I encourage them to love and good works? And I, and I, I love the way uh, the writer to the Hebrews put it, puts it. Um, you know, good works, doing the right stuff, actions, and love, the right reason for doing the right things. So the, the, the actions and the motives behind the actions, we should constantly be considering how can, we, how can we encourage one another to do better in what we do, the good works, and in why we do it, the motives behind it, love. Think how much better your small group would be if you're in a small group. If every week, everyone in the small group beforehand takes some time to, con to pray for one another and consider how you can encourage one another to love and good works. How much more would we disciple one another? How much more would we encourage one another? How much um, more powerful uh, would that be? Now, 
that consider means to really meditate or think deeply. As you think deeply about the things concerning your own life and how to do them better, how to, you know, what to cut out and what to include, you know, how, how to change. Um, as you think deeply about that, you should think deeply about um, the people in your small group. So small group is a community, not just a gathering. Um, and it's specifically a community. If everyone beforehand prepares, does the preparation, considers how to encourage one another to love and good works, then it's a place where you will both Give powerfully because you've prayed for those people and you've considered how you can encourage them. And you're getting to know them over time because you've, you've committed to, to them. So, so you know their strengths and their weaknesses, their fears and their hopes. And you can powerfully minister into that. So, so you'll, you'll be able to give powerfully, but you'll also be able to receive powerfully. Because they've done the same and they've considered knowing you how they can encourage you towards good and uh, love and good works. And, and one of the important things is small group is supposed to be a place because that's how discipleship works, where you can both give and receive powerfully. You know, we all like breathing in. But if you only breathe in without breathing out, you're going to suffocate. You can, you can try it if you want to. Just try breathing in for, for like five or ten minutes without breathing out. And see what happens. Breathing in is blessed, but only if you can also breathe out. Receiving is blessed, but also if you can only, but only if you can also give. And small groups should be that place where you can really do that. Not everyone can give and receive in this big group, but everyone can give and receive in small group. Um, so, um, yeah. The second one, preparation, the second one is presence. Actually be there. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Actually be there. And, and, and here I want to encourage you, the healthy things in life. There are certain things that you, have, that you cannot just do once in a blue moon. You have to do them regularly. Like breathing, like exercising, like sleeping, um, like eating, like drinking water, you know, and stuff like that. It's... it's <laughs> some of you, some of you, <laughs> we're thinking of other kind of drinking. Yes, I do that regularly. No, no. <laughs> Bible says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to drink regularly, drink a regular of the Holy Spirit. But there are certain things that you need to do as a regular rhythm, part of your life. And small group is that. Don't just go to small group. In other words, don't just say, okay, I'm part of a small group. You know, I'll go once in a bloom and once in two weeks or once a month or, you know, whenever I feel the need of it. Make, make a real commitment to it. Make a real commitment to it. Make, say, I'm going to be there every week. I'm going to cut other things out of my schedule to make place. I'm not going to try and find time for small group. I'm going to make time for it. I'm going to, people are going to know it's, going to, it's part of my schedule. It's, it's, it's scheduled in every week in my calendar. And peop, if people say, you know, can I come visit you on, on Wednesday evening, you can say, yeah, you're welcome. I'm going to go to small group so you can come with me. If your family comes, bring them with you to small group. So that it becomes really a habit, part of your regular rhythm. Because you can only effectively give and receive receive from people that you trust and give to people who trust you and trust takes time to build 
regular FaceTime. Um, so I just want to encourage you. I, I think all of us can make a deeper commitment to small group, to being there more regularly. You know, especially nowadays with, um, you know, after lockdown and so on, you know, we're comfortable, relatively comfortable at least with Zoom. So even if you're in a place where you, you had to work late and, and you're a bit late for small group, you can, you can text your small group leader and say, listen, I, I came home from work late, but I just want to, for the last, you know, half an hour, so I just want to Zoom in just, just to connect with you guys because I don't want to miss out what's happening there. And, um, you know, can I, can I Zoom in or something like that? But, but do whatever you need to do to make a full commitment to small group and a regular commitment to small group, not neglecting to gather together. So you can't make or be discipled unless you're there regularly. Make it a habit. Um, George Whitfield, um, he and John Wesley ministered at the same time in the Second Great Awakening um, in, in North America and, and, and Europe and so on, happened, you know, largely through their ministries. But at the end of their lives, even though George Whitfield, by many accounts, was a better preacher than John Wesley, the fruit from John Wesley's life was greater. And when they asked George Whitfield about this, um, the, the difference was John Wesley placed new converts into small groups. He called them class meetings or classes, um, uh, while George Whitfield did not. And George Whitfield uh, is recorded as saying, my brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry joined in class, in, in, in small groups basically, uh, and thus preserved the fruit of his labor. This I neglected, and my people are a rope of sand. In other words... The command, the, the main, the great commission that Jesus has given us is go and make disciples. Not converts. He doesn't say go and make converts. He says go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you. Now, you cannot, you cannot baptize people except in community. So the, even though community is not explicitly mentioned there, it's implied. And I'm with you. With two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them. I'm with you in community as well. So if you want to fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples, let's learn from George Whitfield's mistake. Let's not create a rope of sand that the wind blows away. Let's do like John Wesley did. Let's do it in small groups so that the fruit of what God does can remain and people can truly be uh, discipled. So it requires presence. So preparation, presence, and then participation we must inv- provoke, one of the words they use there is provoke one another towards love and good works. Uh, encouraging one another. Get together, encourage one another towards love and good works. And I already mentioned that it's, it's, it's not only the, the, doing the right things, but for the right reasons, the, the actions and the right motives. Um, I mean, you can go to small group and you can be a part of the small group community and be there without really being there. Not really be active, not really participate. Just like you can come to church, sit through the whole service and be a passive spectator, not an active participant. Or during the worship, you can really participate. You can hear God's voice. You can experience God's presence. You can, you can listen to the sermon as a spectator and say, oh, that's interesting, but it doesn't really change your life. Or as an active participant 
and you can respond and it really changes your life. And you can help others respond and it really changes their lives. So, yet I just want to say, I think your ability to participate effectively is directly proportional to your commitment to prepare beforehand. The better you prepare, the better you'll participate. Even if you don't prepare, you can still participate. But the better you prepare, the better you participate. So if you pray for, your, for people beforehand, for the small group beforehand, you know, read through the scripture you know, that, that the small group is going to be based on. Think about how can this scripture be best applied to her life or to his life. Then you'll be able to participate so much better. And then it says, uh, the last phrase there in, in, in Hebrews 10, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. What's that day? That's the day of Jesus' return. That's judgment day. That's the day in which everything in our lives will come to a point. When our lives will be judged and we'll either hear, well done, good or faithful servant, or we'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you. In other words, not only preparation, presence, and participation, but perspective. Ultimately, what we do in terms of making disciples will determine how we will experience the day, judgment day. Because that ultimately is what Jesus has called us to do. You know, and whether we do it as a full-time pastor like me, or as a housewife, or as a chartered accountant, or as a teacher... That is, that is what we, we, none of us are excluded from that. None of us are exempt from making disciples. Um, but not only making disciples, but making disciple makers. That's the powerful thing of small group. Is not only that people receive, and le- but they learn to give. But, but you also, in a community, teach one another how to give and receive. Not only how to be disciples, but how to make disciples and how to make disciple makers. And that's, that's really powerful. So I'm going to ask Louis and, and, and Anne just to come up very quickly and, and, and share a quick testimony. Louis, you want to go first? Just about what small group has meant to them. <laughs> um, I was going to let Anne go first. <laughs> Anne, go Good morning, church. Oh, shoot. Lots of faces. Um, for those who don't know me, um, I'm called Anne, um, Anne with no E. And I'll just share quickly um, just a personal testimony of um, how small group has really changed my life in essence. Um, for those who don't know, I'm actually um, a pastor's kid. And I've always grown up in the church. And the church is essentially all I know. Um, But since I joined small group um, in 2020, that was essentially the first time I had been part of a small group. And from then until now, um, I've I've grown closer to the Lord more than I have ever grown in all my years being in the church as a pastor's kid. And really like with what Henny said, that you get to learn about Jesus in community. And it was absolutely that. I mean, um, 2019 over 2020, I really went through this really horrible time and felt like going through depression and was super angry at life and super angry at 
um, just everything that's going on with my family. And Louis invited me to church, which I joined, um, but then COVID hit and all then we had was pretty much small group um, to really create community and doing it over Zoom. And we really like encourage each other and we found, well, I've personally found an actual community that I'd never found before. And just like praying together like a Thursday's morning when we would wake up early in the morning and we would remind each other like why we're running this race and um, that even if it feels like so dark and everything feels so confusing, um, we just got to be, I got to be able to come back to why am I living and what's my hope and what's keeping me going through this period where no one really understands. And that was amazing to me. And as we've come back to in-person um, small group, it's really been, I've, I've managed to grow and everyone around me, people from my small group have also managed to push me and the characters that they've been able to see in me that I hadn't been able to see in myself as well. And if I can give you a specific testimony, um, there was a period last year where, yeah, I don't know what was happening and I had been having vivid dreams and so was my mom of my dad passing um, and my dad is also the pastor and um, and I was really like Lord I don't know what's going on and my mom said there was years ago where she had a prophet say to her that um, my dad is going to pass and I went through this phase and now it felt like I was being prepared for the death of my dad and I remember sitting down at small group and we were going through the highs and the lows of our week and um, someone had kind of said, I've made peace with it, like, Lord, I'm ready for it to happen. Um, and someone, I think it was my Catherine, that said, just whatever is in your heart, like, just say it, even if how small or how big you might think. And I shared this with my small group and told them all that's been going on and Literally, like whatever Louis and Catherine had made plan for that evening, we just stopped and they, everyone stood together with me and prayed against this massive lie that the devil had really, really stuck down in my spirit. And I mean, today my dad is in Kenya preaching the word of the Lord and um, in goodness. And um, it's truly because... I was. I had a family because that's what your small group becomes, um, like your family where you can walk life with. And um, yeah, very blessed. Not not going to be long, but I, I just wrote down a few like words to sort of describe what small group has meant for me over the past five years. Um, and so it starts with stretched, humbled, celebrated, corrected, prayed for, supported, uh, learned to minister, learned to be vulnerable, learned to pray, and learned to serve. Um, that has been a journey for me over in, in small group. And, and when I have to add at the end, I got married in small group as well. <laughs> so... Um, you see, you see, there are fringe benefits as well. It does well. work. It does work. <laughs> um, that's not the goal, though. <laughs> but um, I, I just have two testimonies to share quickly. Um, I, uh, five, it's now six years ago, um, my mother passed away, and uh, Bibi and myself moved to Joburg. We were brand new. We didn't know anyone. Um, 
and uh, we went to small group the first meeting the second meeting was my birthday um, and I walked into small group and all of a sudden like got this massive packet uh, with gifts um, and afterwards they, like they sat us down and people surrounded me and prayed for me and and I, I remember like being so blown away by the acceptance and the love from people that didn't know me from anywhere. Uh, even the fact that they bought us gifts, you know, like literally giving money to someone you don't know to buy a gift for them. And I was blown away by that. So, and, and that really was, was a massive journey for me, feeling so part of this community you know it didn't take weeks it didn't take months it was instant um that was the one and then the second one was in small group is where i really learned to hear the lord's voice um we were sitting and sharing and one person shared you know when the lord speaks to when, when i wake up in the middle of the night three o'clock what i do is i take my pen and my paper and i say lord i'm listening and he said he said that that night, and I was like, that's cool. And then that evening, I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning, and, um, and I was awake, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and I, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm speak, uh, like I'm listening. And for the first time in my life, I heard the Lord speak, and until today, that is the way the Lord speaks to me. Um, and that, you know, that, uh, that sort of string of faith, that rope of faith was thrown out in small group. And then just a last thing, if I can just add to what Henny said, um, you know, each small group, like as I have moved from small group from one place to another, as you move, you really miss people's giftings because each person stands a role so full. Um, and like one of the persons like I've never been able to replace in a small group ever is Natasha because no one has an ability to celebrate someone the way Natasha does. Um, you know, and, and, and that is the, and that is the, the sort of, you know, gift we bring to small group, whatever your gifting is. Uh, it's not just your facilitator's job, but it's your job. When you pick up something and that person sending a message being like, are you okay? Are you doing okay? Um, and, and just like, you know, I have never, I want to say this, but I've never missed a deadline and I've never gotten in trouble for putting work or something aside and attending small group first. Uh, and then working afterwards. I've never missed this more, like, and it, I'm talking like the most ridiculous deadlines. Some way, somehow, it always worked out. Uh, and the Lord gave grace. The Lord gave the strength to work through that deadline afterwards. So if you prioritize the Lord, he will prioritize you and he will look after you. So I just want to encourage everyone in that. Cool. Thanks. Um, Louise, also a pastor's kid. <laughs> Just like Anne. Gives me hope for my kids. <laughs> if, if they can turn out as well as Anne and Louis. <laughs> That'll be great. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, uh, Mezen sent me a, a quote um, a couple of days ago. that It says, there are some needs only you can see. There are some hands only you can hold, and there are some people only you can reach. And small group is a, is a massively important space where so much of that happens, 
where so much of what only you can do, you, you get the opportunity to actually do. Um, now, I know it's, it's difficult because lockdown has disrupted. Many of you, have your lives have been very disrupted by you know, lockdown. And, and some of you, you, you tried the, the Zoom thing for a while and it, it didn't quite work for you. And I, I understand that. I understand, you know, that, that distance and, and, you know, the digital thing is not always easy to do. So if that happened to you, if, if your life got disrupted or you moved or just lockdown happened or whatever happened and you sort of, you know, have, have moved away from small group and, and got into the habit of not going to small group, then I understand that, but then make the commitment to change that now and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to recommit myself to it. I'm going to, this year I'm going to dive in again. I'm going to commit fully to small group. I'm going to be there like a bear every Wednesday. And, and by the way, tell us what works for you. Small group is a uniquely flexible um, community that doesn't have to meet on a Wednesday evening. So please, let's not get locked in by that. For some of you, Wednesday evening just it really doesn't work and never will work. But then talk to us. Let's, let's find something that does work for you. You know? Uh, if, if there are young mothers who have to put their kids in bed early and, and evenings don't work for them, let's start something in, in the mornings where, where, where you can come together and, and fellowship together and minister to one another. Um, but let's find a way of doing what Jesus did, what the early church did, and, and, and really making disciples. Let's do the preparation the, the presence, the participation, and the perspective, you know, in the perspective of eternity, knowing that this is what we will be judged on to a very large extent, how we've made disciples in small groups. Um, and, and just think about what kind of community we can be if, if everyone coming into our church can have the experience that Louis had coming in. Come into a small group, which is really a community, which is really living out what Jesus has called us to do. Now, as, as leaders, we cannot force you to do that. But we can invite you, all of us, and we can encourage one another to be those communities. But just think, people coming in, if they experience that, 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 that same experience of, wow, we really accepted, we really loved, we really celebrated, um, we really get discipled in small group. Wouldn't that be amazing? Let's stand. So I, I just want to, um, like I said, encourage you, every day you have 24 hours a day. Everyone has the same amount of time. You have to spend it. You cannot not spend it. The only choice you have is what you spend it on, what you invest it in, in other words. Um, and I want to recommend to you that small group should be a part of your regular weekly investment of your time. Find the time to do it. Invest your time in that and in that community. Um, don't give up when it's difficult because sometimes it will be difficult. You read the Gospels, you see Jesus' small group wasn't always moonshine and roses. The early church, the small group wasn't always moonshine and roses. Sometimes it was difficult. Sometimes there was conflict. Sometimes there were challenges. Um, sometimes there, were, there are people who irritate you. But even that is good. God's going to use that to disciple you. Um, so I just want to um, just, just close your eyes and, and understand that this is not a commitment that you're making to other people or to the church primarily. This is a commitment you're making to Jesus. 
Jesus never misses a small group. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. He never misses a small group. We, we sometimes miss small groups. We sometimes miss uh, the, the meetings, but he never does. Uh, and, and we're committing not only to meet with one another in small group, but to meet with Jesus in small group. Okay? So I just want to ask you, if you're here and you've, you've never been part of a small group, but you'd like to join a small group, I just want you to put up your hand and say, that's me. I'd like to go and visit a small group and, and, and try it out. Anyone like that? Or if you are here and you are already in a small group, I want you to commit to that small group in your heart and say, God, I want to do this. I want to do it not just when I find time, as you know, other things are a higher priority, but um, you know, when I get time and when I feel like it, I'll, I'll do it. I, I want to commit to this, to doing it on a regular basis and, and really being discipled and making disciples in small group. I just want you in your own heart, just in your own words, just make that commitment. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that you love us, Lord, and that you set such a good example for us. And, Lord, we, we realize that, Lord, in a city like Joburg, there are so many things militating against us being able to do this. Lord, we, we're so busy, Lord. We have so many things going on. Lord, our, our culture is such a rushed culture, Lord. Lord, we, as modern people, we so often tend to want the benefits of community but not this, be willing to make the sacrifices necessary for that community. And we, we admit all of that, Lord. We, we, we confess all of that, Lord. We are, we are afraid sometimes of making commitment, Lord. We, are, we, 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 we like avoiding, um, Lord, just the, the inconvenience, Lord, of that commitment. We just admit that to you, Lord, but we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll help us, Lord, to, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow you, Lord, and, and to do that in community, Lord. Lord, and, and I just pray for each one of us, Lord, as we commit to being discipled and making disciples in small group, Lord God, small groups, Lord, that, that we'll experience your grace like never before. Thank you, Lord, that, that you want to Lord, mold us and make us, Lord, more than we realize, more than we understand. And, and that you have more grace, Lord, more encouragement, more love than we realize that you're making available to us. And, and we just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that every one of us, Lord, as we commit to walking together, that we'll really experience that. That we'll be surprised by what you do. That we'll be overwhelmed by what you do in us and through us. That we'll experience, Lord, that joy of seeing others, Lord, baptized and grow and, 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 and healed and restored. And, and, and getting new jobs, Lord God, and, and getting married and, and getting children. And just, Lord, that it will be so encouraging, Lord, as we share in one another's joy and tears. Lord, and Lord, we, we just commit ourselves as your church to you. And we pray, Lord, build us into what you want us to be, into what your vision for us was. Lord, and Lord, remove every resistance in our hearts to that. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.